So last January, the 14th, during the NFL playoff game between Denver and New England, this ad aired on national TV. John 3.16 For God so loved the world The whole world Everyone Anyone That a lot of people That he gave his one and only son His only son That whoever believes in him Will not perish But have eternal life Okay, so that was cute, but it created controversy. In fact, there was one woman I saw interviewed who made the statement. She said that was totally inappropriate. She said that religion is a family value and it should be kept in the home. Coincidentally, there was another John 3.16 ad that the Fox, Fox Network turned down for the 2011 Super Bowl, claiming that it was pushing religious doctrine. Amazingly, Focus on the Family said when this ad ran, 100 million people went on Google and searched John 3.16. If they actually read it and the words that followed, here is what they read. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have, ever, have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Imagine it dawning on you that the Creator himself came to this earth not to condemn you. The word actually means to take revenge, to avenge, to punish. And when you begin to think with that, about that, it begins to mess with your mind. So I, I want you guys to come on up and stand right here that I asked to come up. Just stand right here in a group and face that direction. Kate, you stand right there. Okay? I need you two to go over and stand on either side of Kate. So the story goes like this. And remember, we're just pretending, so it really is not the personality of these people we're about to describe. This lady here has been having a torrid affair. She's been hanging out with a man that does not belong to her. She's not married to him. These religious leaders of the community know what's happening, and they catch her. And they drag her to Jesus. So just drag her right to here. Nicely drag her. There you go. You guys, come over here now. Come on over. So now what they have done is they have drawn a line. That is the line of mercy. And she is on the other side of mercy, and they are on this side of mercy. And they say to Jesus, they say, Mosaic law says, Moses said, that if she is caught in adultery, she should be stoned. We don't have stones, but we have hymnals. Hold them up, guys. We are going to hymnal her. 
and that'll hurt. So they say to Jesus, what should we do? Say it. What should we do? Thank you. I get to play Jesus because it's my story. Jesus does the most remarkable thing. He takes this line and he moves it over here. And now they are on the wrong side of mercy, the wrong side of guilt. And he says to them, any of you that has never sinned before, throw the hymnal. And they think for a moment, and one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, we can't figure that out at the moment. I do know who the oldest is. <laughs> they take the stones and they drop them, drop them. And they go back and sit down. That leaves just Jesus and the woman, for Jesus is on the right side of guilt. She's not. Jesus can pick up the stone and stone her, for he has never sinned. But what Jesus does next messes with our minds. He takes this line and he brings it over here, and he puts her on the right side of mercy. Now, what messes with us is he just says to her, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And we go, no, 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 stop. You should ask her or say, but don't ever do it again. You should say to her, promise me you'll never do it again. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, you get Saturday detention. He doesn't say, all your sexual privileges are removed for the next 10 years. He just says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go ahead. The whole thing messes with our minds. How can Jesus redraw the lines? John, who tells this story, ties it into this raging debate between Jesus and those religious leaders. And they want to know absolutely where he gets the authority to redraw the lines. And so Jesus tells them. John records it, John 8, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. That I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do, not catch this, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He said, I do this, I redraw the lines because I'm God's agent. If you remember, and if you weren't here last week, I invite you, and in fact, I urge you to get the podcast or stop by the media desk and get a copy, because it is the foundation of all we're talking about. That when, when God created this earth, he created man, and he said, I have, I have a task for you. You are my agent, and, 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 and you are in my image, and that I'm in your image really is both relational and functional. You are related to me as my children, and you have a function to do, and that function is that you represent the loving and the authoritative dominion over this earth. You are my image there. You work in my stead. You rule on my behalf. Jesus said... I am here as a human to do just that. See, we messed it up. 
Adam and Eve messed it up, and in doing so, they released their authority. They lost their relationship, and then they lost their function. And without Jesus in the middle, without God in the middle of this creation, everything just goes off, bal- off balance. The earth will not yield its crop, and the animals become, become dangerous, and, and relationships between men and women are now power-based. And we hide from God. And Jesus said, here I am. I am that agent to fulfill what was designed in the very beginning, and I will do only what the Father tells me to do, and the redrawing of the lines is what he told me to do. And he is with me right here, right now. I will do what God wants me to do. What is that? It is this, that love doesn't do it better. Love does it different. So, If Jesus is the agent for God, how do we know this? Well, Jesus goes to the River Jordan. John is baptizing. And Jesus said, I need to be baptized because if you are human, there is this need to totally submit to the authority of God. And that baptism is Jesus submitting himself, submersing himself in the will of the Father so he can take on his image. When he comes up out of the water... The Holy Spirit comes upon him, empowering him to rule on God's behalf on this earth. And then a voice says, this is my son. I'm so pleased in him because now we have this one who has this relationship reestablished. When is the last time we had someone totally submitted to God, someone who was in right relationship with God and someone who had the power of God? It was way back in that garden before the fall. And now here's one who will assume the role that Adam failed in his function and his relationship. And in the same manner, he will be confronted. There will be one who will become combative. And so we read, this transpires after the baptism. Matthew records it, Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. And during that time the devil came and said to him. If you remember, when the serpent, this evil influence, showed up in the garden, he came with an alternative ending. And it was this. If you pose it in a question, it would be this question. You are human, but can you become truly God? And the answer the enemy gave gave them is, yes, you can be just like God and you won't die, so do it your own way. It doesn't matter. And so they disconnect in their trust of God. They follow the voice that is contrary to God, and the world becomes imbalanced. Here comes this one, the substitute for Adam, and it's not in a garden, it's in a wilderness, and the voice comes to him again, this time the same evil influence only without the snake mask, but the same power. Now, the original question was, you are human, can you become truly God? The question now is, you are God, can you become truly human? And can you rule this world only by your connection and relationship with God? I know you've come to take and rule this earth, take control, and so this voice says, this enemy says, here, let's make it easier for you. Just take these stones and turn them to bread. 
Mr. Creator. And everyone will say, Ooh, it's God. Go to the top of the temple at the pinnacle and throw yourself off and your angels will come and catch you and validate your claim of being God. You want the authority back? Just bow down and worship me and I will give you all the kingdoms. And it's not that Jesus couldn't do those things because later Jesus will take bread and multiply it over and over and over again. He won't throw himself down off a temple, but he'll throw himself on a cross and live through it. And wherever he went, the demonic forces would scream and run. And he could invade any place he wanted to because of that power. So, the word is this, just prove yourself without any doubt. Do these things and they will follow. Use miracles and convince us. Use your authority and make us. Use those, those things that you say you have and others will follow you. Use your religion and guilt us into following you. But you see, Jesus is not running a popularity contest. He's not wanting you to vote for him in this culture and say, oh yeah, he's number one and everybody else gets voted off. Jesus has not come here to be a better something for our culture. Jesus has come to be different from our culture. And so what's amazing is that Adam died grasping equality with God. This Adam substitute died letting go of equality with God. It's different. Paul the Apostle wrote these words describing that very event. Philippians 2, 5. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus could have used our culture. He could have performed miracles and, and he could have, have, he could have just attracted us to him. It's interesting, they said that he had nothing about him that would attract us to him. He could have used religion and shamed us into, oh, we've got to do this. He could have used his authority and said, I'll nuke you if you don't. But he didn't. Because he knew this, that only love can summon a response of love. For he said, for when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to me. The temptation for Jesus was a crown or a cross. And the cross is not an easy thing because we'll find him later when the cross is really right in front of him saying, oh, Father, if there's any other way, could, could we just not do this? In fact, it is so intense on him that he sweats drops of blood. And the enemy is saying, hey, find another way. Don't follow your father. And he's telling them to do the same thing Adam did, which was find another way, but don't yield to that. Oh, he doesn't stop. There's this one point he says to his disciples, I'm going to the cross. And Peter says, oh, no, you're not. You're not going. And he turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. I recognize that voice. 
And even as he's hanging on the cross, they're not done. For the voices through the people say, you saved others, save yourself, come down from here. But if Jesus is God's agent, he understands it cannot be done by manipulation or force. It's got to be done by love, and love always gives a choice. And Jesus said, you have a choice. And they said, we choose to kill you. And Jesus did not even give a rebuttal. Jesus was so desirous of us keeping our free will that he yields himself to death. He dies for a flawed species. See, that messes us up. Because he says to us, you get to choose. All you get to choose, but here's the consequences, and now you get to choose. Go ahead. See, that messes us up. It messes us up with this, with this lady here. It messes us up because we go, well, well, wait a minute. Whose side is she on? Who's in? Who's out? Because we knew, we knew she was out, and now she's in, but now we're not sure she'll stay in. Is she in or out? How do we treat her? He says, this is the way I'm going to do this. Who's in or who's out? When, when I grew up, in my early years, I grew up in a family that was in the holiness movement, and so we pretty well knew who was out. Are you ready for this? People who bowled were out. Well, you never know what kind of sin's going on in a bowling alley. I'm telling you now. They were out. Dancing was out. Because if you dance, you're going to have a baby. That's all I knew. Going to movies, oh, that was so out. The first movie I ever saw was the animated version of A Christmas Carol with Scrooge. I never enjoyed it because the whole time I'm thinking, if Jesus comes back, I'm going to hell. I'm going to hell fast. You see, when we're not sure we hear from God, when God doesn't say, here's a direct line, we, we feel obligated to draw that for him. Here, God, let me help you out because I'm pretty sure this is wrong here. Scotty, we're in shorts, man. You're out. You can't wear shorts to church. They wear shorts in hell. <laughs> it's hot there. So we got to decide who's in or out. That's our deal. So we draw lines. Here we go. Obama, in or out? Don't answer. Tattoos and piercings, in or out, draw the line. Global warming, in or out, draw the line. Hymns, <laughs> draw the line. Vegan, in or out, draw the line. Chick-fil-A, in or out, draw the line. The problem is this, that love always redefines our lines. So we've got this deal. Where Jesus is redefining the lines. So you ready for this? Because here's the deal. It's going to mess us up today. Because you're going to probably walk out of here with more questions than you do have answers. Are you ready? Because Jesus always messes us up. So here's what he says. Let's start here. Matthew 7, 1, verse 1. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. 
For you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? And how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Can you imagine it? Because what he's saying is this. He said, Jack Reisner, you have a telephone pole sticking out of your eye. And Jack Reisner's going around pounding you down with this telephone pole, which is basically my wrong image of life my faulty view of life, and I think it's right. I'm pretty sure it's right. I judge everything from that, and I draw my lines from that, and I'm pounding you with it, and God's saying, it's not even right. What are you doing? What do you do with that? He said, I, I want you to deal with your own because here's, here's the issue. We set the standard for judging ourselves. Don't judge if you don't want it coming back on you. Some call it karma. Some say, you know, what goes around comes around. Uh, our story. They say, Jesus, no mercy. And then Jesus backs up and looks at those guys and says, are you guilty? Because the deal is no mercy for her, no mercy for you. And they go, whoop, we're out. We don't want that. This stuff really works. I'm going to tell you, the way you judge others is the way that God judges you. It's set up that way. When Pam and I were in California, in a church in California, years and years ago, there was this lady who judged people all the time. She judged everybody. She judged the way they dressed. She judged the way they, they acted. They judged the way how spiritual they were, whether they were, quote, carnal, fleshy people, and, and whether they, she just judged, and she judged leadership. She was just horrendous on leadership. I'm not even sure they're Christians. And, 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 and what she would do is she would she'd couch it in spirituality. She'd couch it in prayers. Oh, sisters, let's pray for Doris. Because I think, I can't prove this, but I think she's got eyes for other guys. And let's pray for that pastor because, because I don't think he's truly preaching the word of God. So she was, she was just judging and she got really sick. And two separate friends, not connected to each other, both called her in a 24-hour time period and said to her, I'm praying for your healing and God stopped me and said, quit praying, she's going to die because of the way she judges well, she got both those words, and in no time she called the pastor and said, come talk to me, please. And she, she confessed and said, forgive me. And she got well. See, to judge means for me to say, I am for or I am against. And Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your life, open it up, and, and, and take the Beatitudes, take the Sermon on the Mount and compare your life to that and, and say, okay, are you for or against what I'm doing here, this attitude, this view of life, and take your time doing that before you try to go after other people. Get the log out of your eye. I'm a pretty firm believer in America today that the churches would be a lot more quiet, they'd have left to talk, less to talk about if we spent more time with honest introspection instead of uninvited inspection? Now understand that as you read the context of the scripture, understand that Jesus is not saying we never speak in other people's lives or help correct them. Oh, we do. But understand that takes place in this context. Judging depends on a relational invitation. He says, how can you think of saying to your friend, the word is, the Greek word is aldolphos, meaning brother. He said, if, if we're friends, 
If Michael and I are friends, we have this relationship. I can speak into his life. He can speak into my life. And first of all, i got to make sure that the log is out of my eye so I can see honestly at him. Now, if I have no relationship with Scotty, I just know him in passing. He sits over there. I cannot go over and judge him. He, anything outside of my friendship circle is off limits. I can't go there. Now, we live in a country that loves opinion. There's opinion polls everywhere. What do you think about the Queen of England? Did she look bored during the opening ceremonies? Who cares? At that age, I'd be glad to sit up. <laughs> so Kristen Stewart is having an affair on Robert Pattinson. Who cares? Well, of course we care, but I don't know Kristen Stewart. I don't know Robin Pattinson. I don't know those people. How am I supposed to judge anything? Let the people close to them talk to them. I stay out of it. I Look, free up your mind. You don't have to have an opinion on things. Somebody says, hey, what do you think about? You just say, I don't know. I don't have an opinion. Well, you don't want one? I don't want one. i got other things to do. i got a log in my eye. <laughs> i got to deal with a log. Because here's the warning. This... This is so intense. Uh, years ago, I, I went on a, a trip to Vietnam, a missions trip, and we stopped in Taiwan, and this scared me to death. I walked through the, the airport, and as you're walking into customs and, and your passport, here is the sign that you see. Warning, drug trafficking is punishable by death. I don't do drugs, but I was checking. <laughs> this is an extreme warning God's giving you. Watch how you judge each other. And if you do have a friend, if Michael is my friend and we're, we're, we, we have this relationship and he sees something in my eye, he has the right, first of all, he's got to make sure the log's out of his. He has the right and the responsibility to come to me as Jesus would, not in condemnation, but with conviction. To come to me in the image of Jesus with compassion and a serving that says, I'm here to help you through this till you heal because Jesus never approached anyone without healing as being the result of what he wanted to accomplish. Not punitive, not self-righteous, but, oh, man, you're going to be injured here. Let me help you. So he said, look, get the log out. And, and stay connected to who your friends are. Deal with your friends. Leave everybody else alone. Look, if you are not the problem and you are not the solution, then you shouldn't be in the discussion. Leave it alone. Otherwise, we begin to draw lines. There's this thing about drawing lines, and Jesus, again, messes up our minds because he says this. He said to the disciples, okay, there's this guy who goes out and he plans a wheat, plants a wheat field. He gets it all planted. And overnight, his enemy comes and plants weeds in the wheat field. And soon they come up and the, and the weeds come up and those doing, those winding the fields come to him and say, oh, master, here's the deal. We've got good wheat, but we've got a lot of weeds. So should we go pull up the weeds? And this is how Jesus responds in the story. Matthew records it. No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let them bo both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. See, there are those moments that we just can't judge. I just can't tell you what's going on in a person's life. 
I can't engage it. And Jesus said, you've got to really be careful when you're dealing with each other that you're going to judge them. Because you may not be able to tell, because Jesus tells this story. He said that the kingdom of God is, is, is like yeast in bread. It will infiltrate everything. So while you're trying to figure out what's happening to this person, the kingdom of God is actually infiltrating them and changing them. And if you think, oh, they're weeds, you start pulling up weeds, you may pull up something that's wheat, and Jesus says, what are you doing to what I'm doing? You're messing me up. Keep your hands off. Why are you throwing them out when I'm in the midst of transforming them? We're on a journey together. And who are you to think that you can tell what God's doing in somebody's life? Now, later in this passage, he says this. When you look at your leaders, and just like you can tell how good fruit is by the tree, you can tell what's happening to the tree by the fruit, tell you this. If you have leaders that it's obvious they don't have fruit, you confront them and can them. Can the fruit. What you do. He says, you be sure you get them out of the way. But you have fellow journey friends. He said, there's times you're not sure what's going on, so you just let Jesus work with them because he's changing them. You say, well, wait a minute. Is Jesus a universalist? Everybody's going to make it? No, he, he said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus didn't say everybody's in the family. Jesus said the family's formed around me. It's got to be me. So he said, the time will come in the end that I will say, okay, these are weeds. Take them up and throw them out. See, I think we're going to be surprised in the end who makes it, who's in and who's out. I mean, who would have ever expected that a thief on the cross would make it? They go, oh, if he made it, I'm going to make it. But then you hear the story that Jesus says that in the end, they're going to come to me and say, hey, Jesus, I cast out demons in your name, and I preached in your name, and I did all these things in your name, and Jesus is going to say, I don't know you because you didn't do the Father's will. Get out. With that in mind, I have one, one directive for us. Check the telephone pole in your eye because I don't want to be one of those that thinks I'm going to make it, and, I'm, and, and, and I didn't, and, and there are going to be people we thought were going to make it, and they weren't following God, and we didn't know that, but God knows that. So what do you do with the people that are outside the community of faith? Because you know them. Jesus makes it clear. You leave the judging inside the family. And he uses some, some really extreme speech to, to con convey this. Here's what he says. Matthew 7. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Let me ask you a question. How often did Jesus attack crooked tax collectors and prostitutes? You don't see him ever slamming them. You don't see him going after them. He goes after the religious people that he will judge within the family, but he leaves them alone. In fact, here's what he said. He said, if you try to take your kingdom principles and go judge the people who live in a different culture, they're not going to understand what you're saying and why you're saying it, and therefore, as you try to attack them, they will turn and attack you. And so I think sometimes we go, oh, I'm being persecuted for Jesus. No, you're being stupid. You were, Jesus said, don't go out there and do that. I find it amazing 
that when Ephesus tried to turn against Paul and claim that he was this, this guilty guy, they couldn't find a charge against him. He never spoke bad against their gods. Never. He just proclaimed Jesus. I find it interesting that there at Athens, he did not say, hey, I saw all your gods and you guys are pitiful. He said, hey, you got an unknown God. I know who it is. So he said, leave the judging inside the house according to what I've told you and leave those people alone when it comes to the judging, but don't leave them alone. Because he says this, I want you to embrace, because embracing is the family business. The Jews had drawn lines between Gentiles and Jew. You can't touch a Gentile, you get dirty. The only thing worse than a Gentile was a Gentile Roman soldier. That was worse. So amazingly, the centurion who has this servant who's experiencing a tormenting paralyzation, this paralysis, comes to Jesus and says, you could heal him. And Jesus says, hey, let's go heal him. And he crosses the line. The man says, no, 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 no. I have authority. What I say goes. People do what I say. I can't. I, you couldn't come into my roof. I'm, I'm, I'm not holy enough. Don't come into my roof. But you can say right from where you are, let there be healing, and he'll be healed. He understands Jesus came to rule. He understands the authority. And Jesus said, okay, he's healed. And he is. Yes. <laughs> Jesus redraws the lines. And he journeys with those who we say are outsiders. He walks with them. Jesus eats with them. Jesus helps them. Jesus prays for them. Oh, it's stereo. <laughs> Jesus even dies for them. Yeah, but what, what if, what? And here's the deal. He said, walk with me. And his invitation is always open for them to put themselves under his authority. He just stays with them. See, I've grown up in church that said, hey, don't go with those people out there that don't follow Jesus because their nastiness will get on you. Well, if their nastiness gets on you, you need to deal with the log in your eye. You've got problems. Because Jesus walked with them and loved them and said, hey, if you want to come walk under my authority, you can come. But what about those people who don't? What about those people who don't come under his authority? What's he do with those people? Oh, there's this, this really rich guy who shows up, a young guy, who says, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, okay, give everything you've got because that's, that's your problem. That's the big log in your eye. You just possession, possession, possession. Give it up and follow me. And he couldn't do it. And what happened? The scripture says Jesus looked at him and loved him and kept embracing. Say, I don't know what happened to that woman that was caught in adultery. But Jesus left his mercy wide open and he didn't draw a line around her. That's how God rules. And that's how we should rule. And then just maybe, just maybe, the next time our neighbors Google John 3.16 and they read those words, they'll think of us. And they'll begin a journey. Would you stand? have one directive. Work on your log this week. Second directive. I have two now. Two directives. I say this lovingly. If it's not in Jesus' name, in the way Jesus would do it, the 
then shut your mouth. Silence is golden, so make some money. (laughs) Now I pray for you. May you this week find the sweetness of mercy and the beauty of healing. May you even find that habits of forming opinions and judgment will leave, and instead, grace and mercy will cover you. May you find the power of transformation through your words and through your heart. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.